Welcome to Food and Loathing, where we invite you to come on in because the water is fine. And we know that because this episode is all being recorded within the sight of water. We are coming to you right now poolside from, I mean, I guess don't call it no, chaos. Don't call it chaos. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's just the pool at the newly renovated Palms, the newly reopened Palms, I should say, although it was newly renovated as well. <laughs> um, so we are poolside right now, and we will be lakeside a little later in the show before coming right back here to the pool again. I'm your host, Al Mancini. Rich Johnson is engineering, editing, and from time to time, even empathizing. We try. We try. <laughs> Later, I'll spend some time with Las Vegas's new top eater, the new editor of Eater Vegas, Jana Carell. But right now, joining us for our co-host duties during the top and the bottom of this show is Marcus O'Brien, executive chef of the Palms. Hello. And also Cisco Torres, director of pool operations. Hey, man, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm great, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks to both of you for having us. We just had a beautiful fruit plate arrive here. We're at these cabanas in... Again, it was called chaos for a brief time, but this is a beautifully renovated pool. Um, uh, probably one of the, the real gems of the, the relaunch of the Palms. And um, I'm just excited to be here. You know, I mean, I remember being down here when Marshmallow <laughs> threw the opening party for it. And we've been here for a lot of fun events. And it, it just looks as beautiful as ever. You know, I mean, it does. It still has that new cabana smell to it, you know, <laughs> if you will. I mean, fresh off the lot, man. So, guys, th thank you both so much for having us here. Hey, thank you for having us. Um, look, we usually kick things off at the show starting about where we've been over the past week or so. I'm going to start off, and then I'm going to invite everybody else into the fun, but I'm going to start off with a tasting I did recently at Sicky's Garage in Town Square, because, Rich, this is one that you were still oh, traveling, yeah. and you should have been at I should one. have been there on that, <laughs> yeah. So aimed at the rich. I'm, I'm the food. resident junk food guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad thing to have. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> and um, look, the, this is a hot rod-themed burger and beer joint um, celebrating its 10 10-year anniversary over in Town Square. They haven't been in Town Square 10 years. They've been there much shorter, but um, they you know, have been a chain for about 10 years. So they're offering a throwback menu packed with items from the original menu at their first location in Fargo. Honestly, Rich, this is stuff for you. Some of the most uh, ridiculous over-the-top sandwiches they brought out to these me. These are like Instagram sandwiches, right? You 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 put a, five things together, deep fry it, and then put five sauces <laughs> on it. It was right? kind of that. Uh, I mean, you're like, talking my language right now. Oh, I, I got to mention this: the um, <laughs> the tater tot hot dish burger, which is a ground beef patty topped with tater tots. And I, I always thought you could put tater tots on everything, but I don't. These guys are pushing even it's sort of I. a Priamonte Brothers homage <laughs> from Pittsburgh, where they shove the French fries in the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, so that with pepper jack and American cheese, very throwback. Um, they did, they brought us out a chili cheese fries burger. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. A fresh ground beef patty topped with chili and with fries and oh. with shredded cheddar cheese and with sour cream. So that was one of their burgers. Um, they have fried potato salad coming back for this throwback. It's potato salad breaded and fried crispy served with spicy ranch dipping sauce. Um, and I also have to tell you about the buffalo chicken cheese balls, which are um, shredded <laughs> buffalo chicken, hot sauce, cheddar cheese, and green onions. But then you know you got to bread it and fry it, right? I mean, what the fuck's the point? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And fry it, right? And then put it in a sauce, right? Yeah. yeah so, um, man, that was some stuff. Rich, I was just I was oh, thinking God. of you the entire time. <laughs> I was having that. Also, some birthday cake shake. That specialty anniversary menu is available from June 1st to July 31st, 2022. So, um, Dude, yeah. are there any rules in cooking? 
I, I mean, that was are. clearly, I think, they, they took every element and, yeah. and put a little twist on that. Just yeah. like in Instagram. There are no <laughs> rules in Instagram. Exactly. No, not at all. Do you, you guys do anything like that here? Oh, <laughs> we always try to play with food. I mean, that's what we do. That's the best thing about being, you know, being a chef is we get the chance to uh, twist and mend and, and bring our visions to life. So we just love shaking things and, and twisting yeah. them. I always want to know when you try all that stuff and you think, this is going to be great, and you, you go, oh, no, 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 no. Well, how, how often does that happen? Oh, yeah, we do trial and error all the time. I mean, that's, okay. you have to. I mean, one of our sandwiches in uh, Serrano Vista, we have the faux wrench, which is a combination of, you know, that French dip meets the banh mi. You know, <laughs> that's clashing two worlds together. Yeah. So you got to have fun with your but food. But that's a yes, yes, not a no, no. What do you mean? Yeah, oh, yeah, you are correct. It <laughs> is a yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I, I do feel, and look, I, I, I do like Sickies a lot. Sickies is on my face, Neon album. They put it on there as one of the best beer pairings in Las Vegas. Our friend Bob Barnes loves it over there. So I'm not I'm not putting them down. Yeah. But when does it get to be too much? Like when, when you're building this, do you just go, can we add one more fried thing from the fryer? <laughs> when do you just go, no, no, we can't add one more fried thing? Well, you would always have to see the list of what has been crossed <laughs> off, <laughs> which are always grand. To write one menu, there's probably 30 behind it that didn't make the cut. Yeah, that's true. I want to see the ones that didn't make it. Although this was their throwback to the original, so you kind of feel as if over time they've tried to become a bit more refined and maybe they just went ah fuck it it's an anniversary let's go back to where we were you know that's probably the case um but but anyway god bless those guys um check it out you know rich you have to get in oh, there I'll, I'll get you set it up, always so. sounds to me like that great episode of the early simpsons uncle moe's happy fun time thing where we take this 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 this, this and then we deep fry it yeah <laughs> And bring it to you with sparklers. <laughs> that, that's what it's like. And I had a blast over there. Um, I dined with all the Vegas food mafia. You know, we, we enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, also this week for me, I got into Nelly's Southern Kitchen for a tour by Kevin Jonas Sr., Papa Jonas, I guess, if you will. Um, and, you know, I know we've had the chef on here on this podcast before, but I did have a pretty big takeaway from this tour and this meal that I have, and that for all the talk of this being another celebrity-fronted restaurant owned by a pop band, that is not what they're emphasizing here. It's much more about Kevin Sr. telling the story of his grandmother, Nellie, and her hometown of Belmont, which was a cotton mill town in um, North Carolina. The attention to detail in representing that woman and the town, it's very impressive. Menu has a lot of family recipes, um, some that I'm told go back almost 100 years. Uh, you know, I had a chicken and biscuits that is not very photogenic, but was just absolutely delicious. Um, so as for the Joe Bros, there's one very small wall of memorabilia within this massive space. So, you know, some of my friends have been online raging as people who I respect a lot, raging against this trend in celebrity fronted restaurants. And I got to say, maybe this is not the place to be venting at for that, because I really feel like this isn't the poster child for that cause. These people have a vision. They're yeah. trying to tell a story and um, they're, they're doing it pretty well. Uh, you know, I had only a few dishes there while I was there, but everything that I had was really solid. I do want to go back. There's a lot of Southern comfort food on the menu there. And, you know, like, it ain't the Hard Rock Cafe. And I don't have anything against Hard Rock Cafes, but these guys really are trying to accomplish something. So before you start talking shit, and by the way, I'm all in favor of some good shit talking. <laughs> but before you start talking shit, maybe check it out. I also love they're having live music in there seven days a week. And I love the trend to bring live music back into restaurants 
restaurants, so that's pretty awesome as far as I'm When concerned. you go, I want to go because something I've always been on the hunt, uh, I've professed my love for KFC and Popeyes and everything else, but when you find on-the-bone fried chicken at a sit-down place, yeah, we got Yardbird and Blue Ribbon and Crack Shack, but it's not that common around the valley, so when a place like that does southern i assume they do on the bone real fried chicken yeah i didn't have any fried chicken i had some of the chicken and waffles at the party and it was really solid actually i thought the waffles were beautiful didn't need yeah. any um but it was a chicken breast, right? a boneless chicken breast? i believe that was a boneless chicken yeah. breast. but that was party size so yeah, yeah we'll go back we'll do fried chicken yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. well and we have fried chicken on our buffet that you need to check out that is, on the bone that is killer. oh yeah well where is it <laughs> hey i'll make the phone call right now if you want <laughs> we're here on wednesday recording tonight yeah. is lobster night right yeah tonight's lobster night we're, oh. we're gearing up for that i mean it'll be crazy it that, always is that's been crazy hasn't it oh so it's a, it's amazing the energy that comes from it you know it, it, it's who's who's doing it no one yeah you no. know we're taking something and, and 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 putting our take on it and it's it's just a lot of fun it, the energy in there not only whole lobsters you're also getting lobster tails you're also getting snow crab you're all like you're also getting shrimp like a, a honey walnut shrimp like we can keep yeah. going and we're talking ayce buffet and the palms is that and yeah. we're going to talk a lot more about the palms because my two big meals of the past week were at the palms but for now Rich has got a little more um, oh, of what he's literally. done this week. So we're going to do that, and then we'll come back to the pond. I'll, I'll stick to my uh, my go-out thing because we're uh, nice and long here. Uh, my resolution to hit a couple of restaurant week deals came up about 50% short. I went to one, uh, <laughs> Tino Poblano, great tacos, tuna ceviche. I had this fried rice that had about 20 vegetables in it. Joanna had the Dan Dan noodles. I ate both our churros for dessert. A great deal for a $30 lunch, but the rest of the story, $30 lunch times two, $16 cocktails times three. We split the, the other one. And a nice tip. And your nice bargain prefix lunch is 150 <laughs> Yeah. but you Good know, value, great food, love the space and all that. But, yeah, oh, yeah, only $30. Yeah. Well, not did, quite. Did you get in under the free parking over there at the Cosmo, right? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Uh, uh, they don't That's have, a win. They're not yet. <laughs> That's a win right there. Oh, yeah. Done. They are not. I was wondering because they're now owned by MGM, so I threw my MGM pearl card in there and it did not work but it said scan your license plate when you leave not at the checkout for the parking to pay but when you're actually at the gate right and it put the ticket in and it said $25 and I went well, well and I scanned my license bump thing opened up and off I go yeah so, and that's good important on that. to remember when you go to the Cosmo yeah. definitely check that on your way out I think it's up to three hours I'm not yeah, sure three hours Somebody on will call your Nevada license on. plate yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got a paper plate still on my car oh, I don't yeah, know if yeah. that's going to work <laughs> okay so thank you Rich um, getting back to the Palms um, Marcus let me ask you have you done any of restaurant week or you've been so busy here no we have, res- we have restaurant week uh, okay. we're, we have it in a couple different places Okay. Uh, Tim Hoan has Restaurant Week, uh, Mabel's, and also Serrano Vista Cafe. Okay. So, so three different menus. Got to check them out. This will be airing Friday, so Restaurant Week will have wrapped. Are you doing any carryover? Some places are doing an extra carryover. Well, part of our menu in Serrano Vista is a prime rib. Well, we will be doing something with prime rib on Friday nights moving forward. Uh, that's kind of right. the secret mention right now but yeah so we're kind of playing into the carryover and how we're going to play with the prime rib one of the things the previous uh, short-lived owners did was uh, really revamp that that place that's now serrano vista yep. lucky penny and my favorite dish was the hot turkey dinner with the cranberry with the ribs from the can out is that still on the menu that is not on the menu no. right <laughs> oh, almost like the me. blue light special right yeah, there exactly but no that is uh 
let's not rule that out. Thank you. Because, <laughs> like, hint, you know, nudge, nudge. Oh, yeah, there's always, like I said, an arsenal behind what's going to come. I, that's the, you know, that's the trip to fame. I got to get to sleep and I've had enough liquor and I don't want to take an ambient kind of thing. Hot turkey dick sandwich. I always call that the trucker special. Too. Yeah, baby. <laughs> So I've yet to make it into AYC, I've yet to make it into Serrano Vista, but I was in here for the kickoff of your Vegas Test Kitchen takeover of Green Street Kitchen. Um, You started it off with Josh Bianchi. He did a three-course tasting, a lot more dishes than three. I mean, he did a huge plate. Um, He only did one week, so I guess not a lot of reason to talk about it, but, you know, I know Josh maybe listens. Um, Josh, here's the deal. My only complaint about you is you... You are like a young Brian Howard, man. You are showing off so much on every <laughs> bite of every food, and um, I I loved it. But if I were, um, yeah, if I were gonna say where maybe a little more restraint, then again, why the fuck? No, don't, man. It was a one night pop up, two night pop up. You did great, man. I had a blast with that. And um, we have Gary Lamort coming in. Yep. You, we're going to be doing these pop-ups um, curated by Vegas Test Kitchen over Absolutely. at Green Street Kitchen for a while now, right? It'll go on for about three weeks, and then it could continue after that. We don't know. Well, I think it's great. I love capturing that spirit of you know new chefs, uh, up-and-coming chefs, chefs trying out chefs that we really know from other restaurants trying out new concepts. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really that Vegas Test Kitchen downtown spirit being brought here to the Palms, and I I personally love it. Yeah, again, it's about the local chefs. Uh, what do they want to put on display? Who are they? And this could be their chance to become the next one or find their own place or whatever. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Green Street, I noticed, um, because, you know, as I walk around the Palms now, I'm always taking notes. I want to see what's still here, what it may have changed. Um, a lot of the art was, of course, part of a personal collection that's no longer with the property. Correct. But you still have that Banksy in there, right? Yeah, there's one still in there. Yeah, so there's still a Banksy. If you're a Banksy fan, you definitely want to come in and um, and check that out at Green Street. And, of course, you know, Gary Lamort, who, the man who cooks for the Raiders, is going to be cooking here yeah. for the next few weeks. So that's- yeah, he did some uh, some test uh, plates the other day, took some pictures. He's got some phenomenal stuff on its way. He was in, in hanging out the night that I dined there. And I also, like, you had live music in there. Yep, there's going to be live music a lot of fun. during all these uh you know trial dinners yeah so and it's a super fun space i love the Ah. room i love the art one of the few places that has retained the vast majority of the art is green street i think most of it's because it's chiseled into walls yeah (laughs) i mean that room's Um, got the most like atmospheric you know there's it's art everywhere yeah uh another meal that i had and i have to talk about this was scotch 80s prime um I didn't know what to expect with Scotch 80 because every time, I mean, resorts do all, all the time. They rebrand, they go after different audiences. Um, you know, you don't know when. And the, the Palms has always straddled a line between the budget conscious um, customer and then the luxury customer. Going all the way back to George Maloof, I mean, where you could have the penny slots players down by the food court and then you could have Rihanna hanging out, you know, up at Ghost Bar or whatever, um, or at Alize. Or, mm-hmm. You know, so I have been kind of feeling this place out as it's reopened wondering how you how much you're going to straddle it and i didn't know if you were going to go for that ultra luxury client and that very sophisticated diner anywhere will put my fears to rest because my meal at scotch 80 chef marty lopez who is a veteran of alizé andre's herringbone strip steak he totally knocked me on my ass with knockout dishes ranging from a, a seafood tower. His tiradito was astounding. Um, caviar, sir. I mean, and that was a very 
that was a very, very sophisticated dish, that Tiradito. Um, he's, what else? A, a caviar, full caviar service that was great, but with some waffle um, potato chips yep. to serve the caviar on. But other than that, traditional caviar service. That pigs and figs dish, which yep. was like prosciutto and burrata and marinated pig figs, excuse me, that was awesome. Little strips of Wagyu wrapped up with caviar and gold. A5. Beef. Oh, yeah, that A5. <laughs> that's about as much A5 as I want. Never more than like a postage stamp worth at a time. It was a little bigger than a postage stamp, but not that great. Escargot with scallops, a bone marrow. Uh-huh. Um, I, th- with that- popcorn. Oh, yes. Bone marrow <laughs> with popcorn. Um, the sea bass dish, I would say, if I had been served that in a Jean-Georges or a Prime, and I am talking about the most refined of the Vegas steakhouses, that dish would have been a knockout in either of those restaurants. So you Bravo. are not pulling any punches there on the um, the... You know, the high-end side, lots of steaks that were great, a great surf and turf with the lobster thermidor. And then that, the, the playful side, which was really reminded me a lot of Barry Daycake when he was in that room, was that lobster fried rice, mm-hmm. which was delicious, fried egg on top, and it comes in this, this piece of china that is shaped like a Chinese nice takeout so container, <laughs> which was great. Before we get to Cisco and talk about the pool, our beautiful venue, I just have to say that you are so relieved to see that the high end of Palms is back. Mm-hmm. I am relieved to see that the other end of Palms is back because I could still win a toaster in a deep fryer or a <laughs> or a coffee maker if I play enough slots. There you go, man. Yeah. So it's your giveaway for today. Make, <laughs> yeah. make, make me some toast. <laughs> I got your toast right here, buddy. So, no, seriously, uh, man, Um, what? Bravo. I mean, honestly, the front yeah. of the house team was on point. You know, a lot of people will say to you, well, Al, you know, they know who you are. and You're invited in your service. But here's the deal. You cannot fake Hot, true high-end, you know, five-diamond, five-star server. You cannot fake service on that level. It is very clear that you have put together a front-of-the-house team that that knows what the fuck they are doing. George Pagani. At a time when it is really difficult to staff up front-of-the-houses right now. So, um, man, congrats. Thank you, thank you. I think there's a lot of work. The team in there is phenomenal. George Pagani coming from Michael Mina for countless years has he's refined as refined you can get he knows how to play into everything uh he, and then the compliment with marty in there who not only with what you listed also won best steakhouse uh at the hard rock at 35 sacred martinis so he's a, he's a real deal so i'm he was probably one of the first ones i was like get on the phone let's go him and i've been connected for many years and i knew he could take it to the vision that we had um, now, Scotch 80s Prime was known for its Scotch collection and its whiskey collection. Much like the art, I think the old owners <laughs> may have taken some of that to go, including that McAllen yeah. fine yeah. and rare collection is no longer in there. But you seem to be putting the whiskey back, whiskey yeah. collection back together sort of a little at a time. Yeah, it's one of those things, like everything right now, you know, trying to get certain products, you know, back orders or whatever. So we do have that whole list working. It's just uh, waiting for the delivery to arrive at our docks at any time. So it's it's going to be a work in progress. Uh, on the American whiskey front, you did have quite a few pappies. Yep. I know a lot of people are a talking about about pappy today as well. Um, I know the RJ did a story about where you can get it. So I want to let people know you have, what, four pappy yep. Van Winkles on Absolutely. that list? And um, I had a really good um, whistle pig rye. And it was very solid. Um, edition. We also got some great Japanese whiskeys going in there as well because oh, we got a whole go. A5 program. Like the best Wagyu you can find. We actually are probably the only steakhouse in the city that's going to have all four of the Wagyu types. 
which is unheard of. And then to go with that, we're going to do a little Japanese whiskey tasting. That's bingo. Awesome. Um, so, yes, I, I was really blown away by that. Uh, now we're talking about the refined stuff, so let's get to my questions. Okay. All the things that I want to <laughs> know about this place and how I can enjoy it at the high end. Let's look, elephant in the room. I don't talk about rumors usually unless I have people here that I can ask them. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I go. never thought that I would see Mark Vetri back at the top of this tower, but now the rumor mill in this town is running that we may be hearing an announcement. Um, is any truth to that? Uh, to be determined. So... <laughs> That's we are, not a it, no. That is not a no. So <laughs> okay. I'm going to say that we have things happening, but we don't have the exact timeline that things are going to be happening. Okay. So, but I can't, I can't confirm. I can't deny. Well, that restaurant was one of a kind. Um, there's nothing like it in Vegas. And I hope that if you do get Chef Vetri back, you will let him do that. The highest, most elevated cuisine that he does because he does it so well. Yeah, I mean, he's been on property several times. Uh, him and I have met, and I, I can't wait to see what uh, potentially he could or could not do. <laughs> okay, Sarah's. What could you tell me about Sarah's? I know that um, Chef Simon had told me that maybe, possibly down the line. In the meantime, he said he was going to rotate some of those things as specials at Mabel's. But have you guys made any more of a decision as to whether Sarah's will come back? So Sarah's is looking at a building program. So. What are the potentials? We're thinking pop-ups in there. We're thinking maybe once uh, you know Green Street might turn into uh, a solidified element that the locals chefs could be popping up in Sarah's. You know, so there is the plan. It's just about the timeline. Um, okay, now we're sitting in the pool, and Cisco, thanks so much for sticking around. I appreciate it because I need to know. This is a gorgeous pool area. Um, if I, I would dare say that if this was a nightclub or a day club being run by other places, that these would be $20,000 minimum cabanas that we're sitting in right now. Private plunge pools, two stories, gorgeous. Um, I know that it is not being operated technically as a day club, at least for this summer. That's that's what I've been that's told. Correct. And that you may, you know, maybe next summer something would happen with partners. But as far as this summer is concerned, can I get into this pool and can I get into these cabanas or do I need to rent a room here at the Palms to do that? No, absolutely. We are open for hotel guests as well as non-hotel guests and locals. We're actually... Um, trying to incentivize uh, locals to come out to our pools. We're going to start a really fun industry Tuesdays up this upcoming Tuesday, June 21st. So we're going to have some local DJs from 1 to 6, and we'll have a, b a bunch of different uh, beverage companies come out, throw some fun activations. Uh, we do take cabana reservations, and you can do that on Palms Pool at palms.com. Uh, and we are actually going to be doing some really fun bottle specials to incentivize the industry and everyone just to come out and just reintroduce the palms uh, back out there. We are, you know, I want to call ourselves like Palms 2.0 because we're very different. It's a beautiful venue and it's not exactly what everyone expected us to be as of reopening. We do have 39 cabanas, 24 daybeds, uh, multi-level with the plunge pools, which are actually all jacuzzis. You can actually turn up the heat and they're all jacuzzi pools on the second floor, which is pretty fun. But if you were to come out on a Tuesday as a local or industry, you could get a $150 cabana with a bottle of Sky Vodka. We're going to be doing some $10 drink specials. Uh, it's just some really fun like activations where we'll do like some photo moments around. Uh, so we're trying to attract the local guests, but also we're going to be doing some fun events on Fridays. I don't want to call ourselves a day club. We're not going to go to that level, but we want to do some really fun 
themed events where you might come on a Friday and it might be a rubber duckies day where we'll fill the pool with rubber duckies or it might be a pirates and mermaids theme where we'll have mermaids in the plunge pools. We have a whole lot of different ideas that are scheduled but haven't been released just yet. But uh, we are trying to just do something fun and different with the pool atmosphere and just welcome all hotel guests as far as tourists and and the whole and you know the, the hotel will be able to have fun with it as well. What is, um, you, you mentioned on Tuesdays, which is an unbelievable $150 spend, you said mm -hmm. on a bottle you can wow. get a cabana, that's just unreal. Um, cost that much just to walk into yeah. some buildings. Um, yeah. So, but uh, how about other days of the week? And I know whenever I talk about spends at a pool, I know we're talking about starting prices. And if there's an event in town, things go up. And if the, you know things are crazy, so we all, everybody that listens to me understands that. But what's the starting price on a weekday or a weekend to get into one of these cabanas? And is it a rental or a minimum spend? So it'll be a food and beverage minimum spend, no rental fees to sit in the area. They'll start at $400 Monday through Thursday. Uh, Friday through Sunday, it would be $700. Uh, and that's a starting point because there's more luxury cabanas where you might have like your own private pool or on the upper level or lower level. Um, and holidays might be slightly different or if we have a special event, might be slightly different, but very affordable. If you actually book a cabana, there is no entry fee whatsoever, even if you're a hotel or non-hotel guest. Wow. Well, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds like an old, uh, plain, white, fat guy like myself might be welcome here. <laughs> and, and this is also probably, yeah. I still think it's one of the best pools in the city. Although, it you absolutely know, is. I, I, to put you over the top, just two words, free toasters. <laughs> you know, don't plug in your rich. Don't okay. plug in your toaster near the water. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's the true. Fire has yeah, toasters and water not, might not be the best thing to do. Oh man, you know, there's so much other stuff I wanted to talk about, but honestly, we're going to be back after this break. Coming up, though, first we've got a new sheriff in town running one of the highest-profile food news sites, and I got to share a little wine and conversation with her. This is Food and Loathing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, so there are a lot of people in um, this industry, a lot of food writers, a lot of writers, a lot of journalists who just like, to, like, probably life in general, a lot of people just like to whine about the competition. Fuck that, I like to bring the competition out for wine. That's um, how we mix it up here at Food and Loathing. And actually, I don't know if competition's the right word, let's say colleagues, other people in the industry, um, and... I am speaking specifically right now about Jana Carell, the new um, Las Vegas editor for Eater Vegas. Hello, Jana. How are you? Hey, Al. I'm great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if, um, if competition is the right word, but, it, you know, we, there is a very small Vegas food community, uh, food writer community, and you are one of the newer additions to it. So, welcome. When did you start the job over at Eater Vegas? Thanks. I started over there two weeks ago. Okay, and by the time people hear this, maybe about three weeks maybe ago, about four three weeks, weeks ago, yeah, because yeah, like not sure when the exact drop date's going to be on this one. So, how many people are actually on staff at Eater Vegas? Um, on staff is me. Okay. 
And then, but I have been seeing some some bylines come up for people recently, like Ryan Slatterly, who's a great writer, and I was thrilled to see his byline over there at Eater Vegas. So, is he going to be doing more work for you over there? Totally, yeah. Um, I'm I'm their one staffer as the editor, but I have really incredibly skilled and talented freelancers I work with, both writers uh, and photographers. Okay, give, name some names because people love. If you don't mind, name some names to some of the people that are over there. Remind my friends. Yeah, people like Ryan Slattery, a photographer named Louis Victor, who's the the former host of Two Sharp Chefs podcast, whom I I, list, I still go back and listen to for hints on how to be a podcaster. I'm trying to learn from her still. Is Bradley Martin still writing for Eater Vegas? That, that is a person I haven't met yet, so I, I can't comment on that. Okay, cool. That's interesting, because a lot of people say that's a person they haven't met yet. And a lot of us are curious to meet Bradley Martin one of these days. So, all good. But yeah, look. unfortunately, I'm still new enough that I haven't really had the opportunity to meet a lot of the people I'll be working with more closely yet. Okay, cool. Well, I look forward to it. You've got Louie over there. You've got Ryan over there. You're over there. It's going to be amazing. So, that's that's cool. Um, but Jenna and I go way back. I worked with you at the Review Journal. You were there when I started, mm-hmm. little, maybe just under six years ago, five and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and um, I loved working with you at Eater Vague. Uh, excuse me, I loved working with you at the RJ because um, I got into the Review Journal. First of all, they had a great features team that we mm-hmm. worked with over there. Yeah. Um, a lot of really cool people and people who really knew their beats well. But you were kind of the person who I felt more than anybody else had kind of their ear to the street, right? You were just younger than everybody else over there. <laughs> and it's a weird thing as a journalist, especially with, like when you're the Mohawk food writer guy who started off like kind of as a goof writing about this beat. I was always sort of the guy throwing rocks at the people at the big important jobs. And um, then suddenly I found myself at the Review Journal and I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, where are the young people throwing rocks at me? Because that's what we need, right? So I'm always excited. Excited about having younger, hipper, more in-touch people writing about food. Because the longer you've been doing it, for somebody like myself, you get very ingrained. You get very entrenched in the community. And um, in a lot of ways, that's good. I have a lot of great connections. But it also means that I'm only hearing, you know, people always are very guarded when they talk to somebody like me. So I always like to speak to people like you who are kind of out and about checking out what people are feeling on the scene. And whenever I had a story idea that I knew I could not run past the powers that be, or maybe I had run it past the powers that be and they had laughed at me, if I wanted to make sure that I wasn't fucking crazy, I would, like, ask Jana. That was it. And if Jana told me I was crazy too, then I knew that, um, okay, maybe, you know, Maybe this is a problem, but if you if you dug the story idea, then I would fight for it more. So thank you for um, always kind of being my guiding light as to what was was Karen and hip and you know uh, hip with the kids, as they say. <laughs> um, so we are here right now. So you just took over at Eater Vegas, and I wanted really to introduce you to my listeners, introduce you to the community as a whole, or anyone who listens to me. You know, people that are in touch with my old old man vibe and let them know that there are hip young people doing food reporting and they should be talking to you and reading your stuff um so we're here at marche bacchus we just got a bottle of pink bubbly prosecco my beautiful wife sue is here taking some pictures but we didn't give her a microphone and i just this is just sort of a um a show and tell we did give her wine that's all that really matters let's be honest um and yeah so i just want to kind of introduce people so hello Jana. that was a long ass introduction i barely let you speak how are you <laughs> no that was a great introduction i'm good thank you uh, how you how you settling into the new gig Settling in well, it's it's really exciting. You know, something I keep talking about is that 
I, I'm not sure there's a more exciting time in Las Vegas to be stepping into a type of role where I get to cover food and restaurants really this intimately and this deeply, um, especially coming off of what the past two years looked like. Yeah, and now you have written a bit about food when you were at the RJ. You definitely did some food stories. You did a a fucking, what was that, that cotton candy unicorn burrito <laughs> thing legacy. that got a million hits <laughs> on um, social media. That, yeah. that was You were like the goddess over there for doing that video. Tell people about that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. This will be, this is going to be engraved on my tombstone one day. But I did work on a video of a uh, an ice cream place in town called Creamberry, which makes all sorts of really beautiful and delicious sugary concoctions. And they had invented a cotton candy burrito, cotton candy tortilla filled with ice cream and gummy bears all rolled up. And yeah, and you did a video of it. Yeah. And it went, as the kids say, it went viral. It went, it went pretty viral, yeah. And it got like a bajillion <laughs> fucking hits. And then like, honestly, at that point, you know, Heidi and I are busting our asses trying to get news, breaking news, blah, blah, blah. And you just eclipsed our like, <laughs> our story count, our click count for like a year with one fucking video. <laughs> and that is like why you need young people writing for, for newspapers and writing about food because you clearly know what's going to get the attention of that Instagram crowd. But yet you also have a journalist ethic which and journalistic training from being at the paper of record for Southern Nevada. So, you know, you, you're kind of coming at people with this kind of one-two punch, and I like that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I my whole feeling is that I love Las Vegas. I love the city. I love being involved in it, and that means that... Um, anytime I see something really cool or exciting, all I want to do is tell other people about it immediately. Yeah, and you're a great cheerleader for this town. And also somebody who has a good bullshit detector, which I think being a journalist and working at a, um, a serious newspaper, whatever people may think about the Review Journal, I'm very thankful for my time there. And, um, you know, when you work for a paper like the Review Journal, you learn a lot of serious in, you know, in t journalistic integrity and fact-checking and things like that, which I think are really important that you bring to the table. It's not the same as writing for your own blog, you know? Totally. Which, and, I, and I have some, there are some great bloggers in this town, but it's a different type of training. So, you know, I love that you have your, your ear to the ground for things like fucking ridiculous-ass cotton candy <laughs> unicorns. And um, also you bring this, that, that sense of journalism. Um, you and I also work together on some cocktail video series remember those yeah that cocktail column of course and that was a lot of fun you know we went out to um various bars bartenders um would make a signature cocktail and you handled the video and i just kind of stood there and pointed and so that was cool so that's just a bit of your your foodie bona, bona fides bona fides whatever the word is um so but i want to talk about you as a as a journalist in general the rj was your first job as a journalist um my first staff job yeah okay and where else had you worked? I, I had some freelancing gigs in town. I wrote for a magazine. I wrote for a TV show with Vegas PBS called Outdoor Nevada. So, and then I came over to the Review Journal and kind of wore a few different hats in my time there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you were bounced around. You did a lot of the social media stuff for certain times. Um, but, you know, I think you were always at your best when you were writing for features. And, of course, I always enjoyed when you were writing about food. So that's cool. Uh, now let's talk a bit about Eater. For those of you who don't know, because Eater is um, – Eater's – 
I guess really the you know the 400 pound gorilla in any room full of food journalists, right? I mean, they have a huge national presence. I founded in 2005 in New York City. If I have my facts right, went national in 2009. Sold to Vox Media in 2012, and these days have about 25 local cities that you do eater in. Am I right on that count? Yeah, yeah, 25 markets, and that's North America and the UK, and then kind of some other uh, travel content. Cool. And uh, Eater is a great organization because it has that national reach and therefore that national muscle that, you know, chefs have to pay attention to what you're doing, but it also has a good local presence. Now, of course, local presence is only as good as who the local people on the ground are. I'm going to make clear right now to everybody listening, nothing that I'm about to say is meant to disparage your predecessor, uh, Susan Stapleton. I liked Susan. I always liked being around Susan. Um, I always enjoyed when she was at a party. And also, man, she's one of the few people who, whenever she credited one of my stories, she um, actually put a link in back to the RJ or to wherever I was writing for, whether it was Vegas 7, or, um, you know, whomever, City Life. So I have no problem with them. Um, Actually, more than I was allowed to do. I was never allowed to link back to Eater when I was quoting one of their stories. So, you know, Eater has always treated me in a way better than I was able to treat them back in return. So I don't have any problems at all with Eater, but... Anybody who listens to my podcast knows that not everybody was overjoyed with the coverage that they've had in the past. There are some people who may, whatever. And so I think it's cool to kind of clear the air and say we have a new person in at Eater. And, you know, what kind of stories are you trying to tell? Um, you know, how do you want to get to know people? Who should be knocking, who should be ringing your doorbell? <laughs> who should be inviting you into restaurants? Um, you've already started showing up at some of the Vegas food mafia mm. tables, as I like to call it, which is our little... Um, familia of, um, you know, of the entrenched journalists, you know, the old school, the dinosaurs like myself, um, you know, and you're, you're now in that crew. But, you know, for people who are going, ah, fuck, I haven't read Eater in ages. I didn't like it. Or, um, you know, oh, Eater never covered my restaurant properly in the past. I view this as a new start. So, you know, how do you, you um, want to reach? How are you reaching out to the community? And how do you want the, re- the chef's community and the restaurant community to reach out to you? Yeah, so off the bat, I have... I mean, I, I personally I have a Google Doc like 12 pages long of stories that I am just so eager to uh, to really get into and start working more deeply on content. Um, but my short-term goal right now is that I think what Eater has always been so great at is these really service-focused pieces of journalism. By that I mean all these interactive maps so that anytime a reader is looking for a specific meal or dish or experience that there is a map that guides them to the 6 or 12 or 18 places to go. Um, My goal is to make sure that all of those are as accurate and uh, topical and reliable as they always have been. Um, And then my secondary goal is, you know, I think when people think of Vegas, it's so, and, and when people think of restaurants in Vegas, it's so easy to think about the restaurants on the Strip. And I think that's for good reason. I think so many of the really important and exciting contributions to the culinary arts are happening there um but i think we also know as locals that there's also so much exciting and important work being done in the neighborhoods um and i think that by virtue of people living and being a human that exists in the world that they deserve to know where they can go to uh engage with their community and 
Okay, so first of all, you, you mentioned, I'm going to stop you right there. We're going to take the first two things you talked about, and then we're going to go a little deeper. So the lists. Lists, as you may know, as anybody who listens to me know, lists are very near and dear to my heart right now. I spent the last year of my life making a lot of lists. Eater has, since the during the transition period, it seems to be almost exclusively list stories that I've seen up there. Great places for Mexican restaurant. Great places in this neighborhood. Great places in this. Again, I love it. I got a whole app dedicated to that. And the more, the merrier. I love reading eaters lists. Um, but let, let's talk about those lists. How are those lists compiled? I mean, is there a criteria? Because everybody busts my balls all the time. Like, ah, why'd this end up on the list? That's why finally I'm like, hey, here's my, you know, here's my resources. Here are the people who contribute. How did, you know, how, how did places get on the eater heat map? Or is that a secret formula you're not allowed to share? <laughs> no, not a secret formula at all. Um, our kind of vision with eater is that those maps are more curated than they are comprehensive. We want to make sure that any time that we are guiding someone on how to fulfill a need that they're looking for, that they're going to find something that meets um, a good experience and, and good food and, and good people. So if anyone wants to get in touch with me, wants to lend me a tip, if there's a chef who thinks that they're a good fit for something we're covering, please email me. Can I share my email? Yeah, please. It's Carol at eater.com. Now, let's talk about some of the other things, though, because, again, Eater's been heavy on lists since Susan's been kind of phased out of doing it. Um, what about other, other types of stories? Eater was always very good for interviewing a chef, asking them where their favorite restaurants were. Again, something that I'm very close to in my own life. Um, but, you know, also some other things that Eater was always very good at, man. I don't know if this is on your assignment list. I don't know if your bosses have told you to do this. But, man, Eater has always checked those fucking permits. Right. Like somebody gets a building permit or a renovation permit. And like, man, that is the fastest way to find out often what's happening in this town. You do need to do some follow up because a lot of people just scribble shit on a permit application that ain't right. But um, is, is that still part of your beat and is interviewing chefs, asking them their favorite restaurants? Do you find yourself do you think you're going to be chasing trend style stories like, you know, the hot new ingredients? What about all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. These are the types of stories I'm so excited to work on um, and these are the things Eater as you mentioned has always been great at and that includes working on breaking news stories restaurant openings in Las Vegas um, doing deeper dives into trends that we're seeing in restaurants and something I'm really excited about is covering the locals and the individuals who are starting things that are new who are um, making moves to kind of shape the culture in Las Vegas especially as that relates to restaurants and dining Cool. I've always found, you know, one of the things that's stranger as I get older and I get more established in this business is, um, you know, when I was young and I was out till the break of dawn every morning, um, I could hang out. I, I found out you get the best news for me from dealing with the sous chefs or the um, the runners, the bussers, the um, the bartenders, the barbacks, hanging out where they hang out like mm -hmm. when they're late night and drunk, right? And that's sure. where you get a lot of tips. Now that I've become sort of more established and I'm older and I can't party the way that I used to, I, you know, I'm lucky because a lot of those people have grown up to be restaurant owners and, you know, pioneers in this town. So I get the, the higher level intel, but I don't get that intel on the street anymore. So are you still a, what's your philosophy on figuring, you know, figuring out where to get tips and, and finding news? Do you find that, you know, you get most of it from working the phones, from getting press releases, or are you out there hustling, um, you know, 
drinking with these people when they get off work late at night. You know, what's your philosophy on, on shaking the tree for hot tips? Yeah, I think it's through one of three ways, either through kind of getting tips directly to me, as you mentioned. The other is um, I like to go out. I'm out often. I like to eat. I like to drink. And I have a lot of friends who work in the food and beverage industry. And the third place, I don't think you're going to like this answer, but social media, <laughs> my guy. Social media, mm-hmm. huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, my problem with social media is that it seemed like, for a while, it seemed like the easiest way to get information directly from, like, unfiltered information directly from the artist, if you will. And, you know, I'm talking about in, when I covered rock and roll and when I cover food as well. But now everybody has somebody paid to take on their social media account. So I do feel like, you know, following social media is kind of the same as monitoring your um, your inbox for press releases. Like, we get a lot of tips that way, but we only get the glossed over tip the way they want us to hear about it, you know? And so it's, you know, it's it's a good place. I mean, you can't not be on social media, although I'm not on fucking TikTok. I mean, you might find me on there, but I've never looked at it. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's there's it's a give and a take when you're looking at social media. Yeah, but there's also the content that comes from people who aren't affiliated with restaurants, and I, I think that's most useful for me when I'm looking for trends, when I'm looking for something new that I'm seeing kind of in a lot of restaurants when people are taking pictures of their meal and in front of the venue um somewhere in the arts district yeah and look i'm sure that some social media has replaced so much in person so many in-person parts of life right now you know um hell that's how people date they don't go to bars right so um i guess like yeah you're gonna get your tips that way instead of getting them late night at a bar but sounds like a lot less fun i don't know (laughs) if you've ever been hanging out with chefs at three in the morning it's a totally fun way to try to get tips i'll tell you um i want to talk about some of your favorites on food now what's your personal relationship with the restaurant the restaurant industry and dining are you did you grow up as a um as a fine dining person did you grow up as a you know cook at home or eating in restaurants kind of deal what are some of your favorite types of cuisine in general what's your personal history and are you a good cook Ooh, oh, that last question. I, I have like five dishes that I make and they're, they're fine. They're okay. I much prefer going out for meals. Um, I mostly eat plant-based, so I love finding a good uh, vegetarian restaurant. I really enjoy uh, Thai food and Indian food for that reason. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up, I, I descend from a lineage of bad cooks for whom <laughs> Applebee's was fine dining. So I've had a lot of kind of unlearning to do in that way. Okay. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people, and I get this shit when I started my job, right? Like, I mean, I, I still get this shit today, right? People, what qualifies you to write about food, right? And uh, you, you will hear this. Other people will say this to you. Fuck them, okay, first of all. But I'm, that, I'm, I want to dispel that answer in my opinion as to what qualifies you to write about food is what qualifies you to write about absolutely anything is you're a tremendous journalist and you have a journalistic background. Now, I know there are a lot of chefs out there who are like, I know so much more about food than you do. Why, you know, I should be writing. And I'm like, well, then learn to write. And maybe you could get a job doing it because at the end of the day, it is easier to find a good journalist and have them learn a beat whether it is music, theater, restaurants, a good journalist who understands what it means to be a good journalist and knows their own community pretty well can pick up on any beat whatsoever and cover it well. Somebody who knows a beat really well but that doesn't know how to 
write good sentences and work on a deadline and manage their word counts is never going to be a good food writer. So, you know, in my opinion, you already have what, what it takes. I know you're a great journalist and, you know, you, where you come from, from food, not quite as important, but, you know, people will definitely give you shit about that. <laughs> How about the – so you say you don't come from the fine dining world, but since you've been in Las Vegas, have you been um, – have you become like a fan of the Michelin-starred restaurants and that whole scene? Yeah, and I think that kind of my experience with the world of fine dining is started is something that started, um, I don't know, maybe five years ago. You know, with the Review Journal, so much of my focus there was on creating video content, and that put me in the dining rooms and even in the kitchens of restaurants like – you know, from Le Cirque to Mayfair Supper Club to, um, you know, restaurants like Sparrow and Wolf off the Strip. So I feel really fortunate that I've been able to have, you know, for several years now, these experiences talking with chefs and talking with sous chefs about the meals that they're creating and getting to know these people and the passion that they put into uh, the food that they're kind of bringing to all of our tables. What's your favorite type of food? Now, you said plant-based, so um, that's cool, but plant-based isn't necessarily a type of cuisine, right? So what's your favorite cuisine? Oh, God, I love a dumpling. (laughs) Yeah. I love a dumpling. So are you one of these Chinatown rats who, like, has been to every hole in the wall in Chinatown? I shouldn't say rats when I describe (laughs) the holes in the wall, but... You know, are you one of those people who, who loves, like, going into the most authentic little dumpling spots, or are you more, you stick to the more well-known places? A little bit of both. I, I love going down in kind of Spring Mountain and finding dim sum. Um, I also, one of my favorite spots on the Strip is Mott 32 at the Venetian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there ain't nothing wrong with that place at all. What about neighborhoods, um, off-strip neighborhoods? What's your favorite? Which one do you enjoy exploring the most? I spend most of my time, I think, just about every weekend, I find myself in the Arts District. Um, Late at night, I I love kind of bouncing back and forth between Velveteen Rabbit and Rebar and the Silver Stamp. I find myself at brunch at Tacotarian at least a couple times a month. And, I mean, of course, I love Esther's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, The sourdough there alone. I'll, I'll find myself there for dinner. Absolutely. Pretty often. Yeah. Well, those are some great spots. Um, what about the bar scene? Are you are you a bar fly? Like you mentioned Silver Snap, mm-hmm. you know, which we I took me almost a year to get into Silver. Actually, I was there for the first time on Sue's birthday, which was their one-year anniversary party, right? So it took oh. me exactly a year to get in there. So, again, man, I'm, I'm out of touch. I don't go out and do that <laughs> stuff. Uh, bar scene. You mentioned Velveteen Rabbit and Silver Snaps. In, what about in other parts of town? What cool bars, cool lounges do you like to hang out in? Yeah, let's see. Recently, I've been um, making a lot of visits to DCR, to Downtown Cocktail Room, and Sip and Tip. Uh, today, my throat is a little sore due to karaoke at Dino's Lounge the other night. Are they still doing that? I haven't <laughs> karaoke to Dino's in like 10 freaking years, but uh, we I got some messed up stories from that place. <laughs> cool. Okay, we'll see. Okay, so that that's it. You know, you, you're naming all the hot spots. You're, you're totally into where everybody's hanging out. Um, what's the most exciting? Now, you know what? I'm not even going to ask you what the most exciting thing on the strip for you right now is because I don't want to piss off the publicist for the other places. If you don't say that, I will. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you slide on that one. Um, cocktails. Are you a are you a whiskey, beer, or a cocktail person? Oh, whiskey cocktail. Yeah, um, my go-to anywhere is a whiskey sour. 
um, followed closely by I have yet to be let down by asking a bartender for the prettiest drink on the cocktail menu. The prettiest drink on the cocktail menu. I have yet to be failed by that strategy. Okay. Well, cool. Look, it's great to have you on. I just sort of wanted to give people a little hello. You know, this is Jana. She's awesome. And everybody should be, you know, welcoming you into their restaurants. It's been fun. What do you, okay, so how do you feel coming into some of these um, these mass events that you've rolled into with us? Like, you know, you were over at Italy the other mm-hmm. day. You were at the other end of the table, so I didn't really get to see, you know, how how my colleagues were welcoming you into our midst down there. <laughs> How'd that scene go? Are we a friendly group to get to know, or are we an intimidating bunch of arrogant pricks? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> arrogant pricks. <clears throat> um... No, that this is something that, you know, again, especially because of that cocktail column that you and I collaborated with, you know, I would kind of tag along with you for the last few years going to these media dinners. And, um, you know, I think the most important lesson I learned from you was how to pace myself over potentially 12 courses coming out, you know, modest bites. Yeah, don't eat, don't, no matter how good it is, don't finish the dish. <laughs> exactly. No, it's a, it's a great group of people. I always enjoy whoever I end up sitting next to as someone who's just as excited and curious and interested as I am about what a chef is serving and what's coming out for that season. Um, That's been a lot of fun. I'm excited to go to more of those. Cool. Well, look, welcome to our little clique. Um, Welcome to um, all the haters who are now going to start hating on you because you have their dream job. Oh, that no. is, the, you know, that's that's the world when you do anything as awesome as I mean, look at this. We're sitting here on the lake on Lake Jacqueline in Desert Shores, sipping Romeo and Juliet um, Prosecco, pink bubbles, at Marche Bacchus, an amazing place. And this is our fucking work day, right? Other people complain they have to work on a Sunday. This is how we're working on our Sunday. So it's a it's a great life. It's a great beat to be on, and you will you will attract some haters. So be ready for it. But that's oh, okay. Oh no, I'm so nice though. Yeah, I know. No, and I love you, but, you know, the fact that I love you will probably make a few of them not like anyway. But like her anyway. She's nicer than me. She's better than me. She's smarter than me. So um, everybody should love Jana. Jana, thanks so much for coming out. Thanks for having me out here, Al. Hopefully I'll speak to you again soon. This is Food and Loathing. Before the news, another new exciting feature of Food and Loathing. <laughs> Errors and emissions? Yeah, well, this is not exactly <laughs> exciting, but it's something we as journalists or something like it feel we need to do. Well, yeah, because we just start having so much damn fun, we forget to say the right stuff. Facts. You know, you it's know, hard. Our facts. facts. <laughs> uh, do you want fun or do you want facts? We give you both, but not at the same time. Yes. Okay, so uh, quick correction on the pool here. If you do come, if you're a local if, or if you're just anyone who wants to visit the beautiful pool here at the Palms. If you come on a Friday through Sunday, there is a $15 admission fee if you are not a hotel guest, which is pretty damn reasonable. And it is free Mondays through Thursday. So we Even make sure we got that. Yeah. And then you had some corrections on who's going to be chef. Yeah, Green Street. We have Christina Wendt. She's going to be uh, in Green Street. She's doing Polynesian-style food, and she's going to take basically the uh, second half of July. Uh, in Green Street. So we're looking at some great things happening in there. Right. And when I had been asking who's going to be in there with Gary the Mort, it will be um, Brian Tejeda. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, okay. So we've got that all settled <laughs> up. So and many that- details. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now it's time for the news. 
Now it is time for the news. And since we just heard from Jana, uh, it seems like a good time to mention Eater Story. Our friend Nicole Brisson, exec chef at Brezza and Bar Zazu, spoke to Jana about her plans with partner Jason Rochelot to bring their Italian cuisine to the Burbs. The restaurant will be called Amari, and it's coming to the new Uncommons Project on Durango at the 215 this winter. I do encourage you to read Jana's story, but I wanted to get the lowdown straight from Nicole and Jason. Well, I think the, the exciting thing about this is that we're bringing Amari to the neighborhood. It's supposed to be comfortable, approachable. It's supposed to be something that you can eat at four or five days a week, come sit at the bar, maybe have a nice, nice dinner with your family on the weekends in the dining room. But it's very social, and it's supposed to be approachable, but the, the neighborhood feel is very specific to what we're going to provide for that. We have a small retail component in the front of the restaurant. We're doing wine, some Amaris and whatnot. But the ex- exciting thing is Nicole's going to be producing pomodoro, bolognese, um, lasagna, some beautiful cuts of meat, and other things that you can take home with you. So we're going to have this retail component that you can bring you can bring Amari home with you. But I think with that, there's also meal kits. There's also the holidays. There's also, hey, I'm having dinner for eight. Can you put something together for us? So really do tailoring our offerings for, for the neighborhood and for, for our locals. What is it about Uncommons that drew you to that project? And what should people know to expect from it? Well, the, the big difference is, you know, in, in some of the Tivoli or some of where Nicole is a locale and whatnot, they're, they're more strip mall-esque and they all feel that way. Um, this feels like a community. It feels like something that's coming from out of the, you know, from another state uh, in another city and being built here. There's residents, there's offices, there's a sense of community in it. And I think they, that's what they really sold. And when you see the renderings, you walk through the plan, there's health and wellness. Um, there's no big corporate chains there. Um, and there's just, there's a lifestyle that's being built there right on that corner. And it's, of course, the accessibility. There's, everyone's starving for something in that area. I'm all the way out in Southern Highlands. We, we always talk about what we need out there. And this is one step closer to that. I think a lot of the really nice restaurants that are, I mean, they've done a wonderful job uh, up in Summerlin doing Harlow and El Salido. And there's a number of other places that, that are there. But that is still a hike. And I think that, that is still, a, it still takes a few minutes to get all the way up there with what we're doing in this location, that was that was so much more important because of the exact location and what they were building and how it looked and how it felt. Now, Nicole, big question. What's the food gonna be like? I'm so excited about this food program because there's a lot of different aspects to it. You know, as Jason mentioned, we're gonna have the retail component in the front. So we can have a lot of grab and go things. We can have my bisteca de brisson. So we'll have uh, tomahawks and porterhouses wrapped in butcher paper for people to take home with a great bottle of wine for dinner that evening. Or if they dine in, we have a great selection of handmade pizzas, pastas. Uh, we will have a small secundi section with just some some kind of American classics, you know, the, the things that people know of New Jersey and and different areas, but done in a very modern, modern way and and kind of a clean interpretation of that. Um, Obviously still supporting all the local farms. Uh, Carrie's very excited about this new project. So is Herbs by Diane and and all my my herb and and farm posse that we've had over the years. So I I think we can offer something just, it it won't be that red checkered tablecloth, but it'll be more elevated, clean, as Jason said, a, a big health and wellness aspect. Um, I'm excited to kind of get back into the pizza game too, which is always fun because yeah. it's it's just such a huge thing right now. And uh, yeah. Two other features is we're gonna offer two styles of pizza. Um, so we'll have our own house-made dough that we're, we're producing um, about a 12 inch pie round. Uh, we'll also have the uh, a la Paula style as well. 
Um, and another thing that we, 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 uh, we keep on forgetting to mention, which I think is going to be fun and exciting. We, we want to have fun with it. We want to go back to the old school way of having daily specials. Yeah. So Monday night is Monday Managa, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and Tuesday's Porchetta and Wednesday is, you know, Brajol or whatnot. Yeah. But I think if we can, we, I think we have some, there's some fun to be had with driving those daily specials and it'll be, Hey, we, Hey, Porchetta, we have 10 orders. That's what we have for the night type yeah. deal. And how are you going to split your time? I mean, look, you've got a lot going on right here on this trip. This is a, two massive restaurants between Barzazu and Brezza, and then it's a new baby. How's that going to work out? Well, I think we had this exact same conversation when, when I got promoted to culinary director and I started splitting myself between two different casinos and four different restaurants. <clears throat> I think it goes back to what Jason was saying before we started recording is it's it's really all about the team. You know, when we're really building a spectacular team on the ground floor here at Brezza and Barzazu, a lot of... Jason's team, my own team, now this like melded family have been with the two of us from anywhere from five, 10, 15, I have guys up to 17 years that have been with me. And I think that's really important because there's that trust factor. They know they know my food, they know my palate, they know the way that we both work and they know our expectations. And, and I think that that'll give me some sense of security when I do kind of split my time and we're really kind of nurturing this this new infant that's going to be off the strip and developing it and it's growing that we feel good where where these restaurants are at there are some big changes including some food upgrades coming to downtown the plaza is the place and ceo jonathan jostle told me all about what's in store the centerpiece is the carousel bar iconic bar underneath the famous plaza lights vegas theme great drinks and nowhere better to people watch a must-see attraction in downtown Las Vegas. Then you have Pink Box Donuts, uh, the grand entrance walking through a donut, 70 flavors, milkshakes, alcoholic-infused donuts, you name it, they're gonna have it. Then you have the new expansion of Oscar's Patio, uh, first of its kind outdoor dining in a steakhouse in downtown Las Vegas with views all over Main Street, Circa, Fremont Street Experience. What a place to people watch, have fun, have a steak, and drink a nice uh, glass of red wine. And the final piece, a new expanded casino, uh, the first of its kind, non-smoking, smoke-free gaming uh, in partnership with Brian Christopher, an Instagram-friendly, YouTube-friendly, fun, high-energy casino, smoke-free. Couple of extra notes uh, from there. The Portica Share is where this new outdoor bar will be, right under the main dining room at Oscars. The bar will wrap around the pillar that holds up the dome. There will be heaters and misters to make it environmentally friendly to whatever the season. Pink Box is going to have alcoholic milkshake, milkshakes and donuts. Alcoholics and milkshakes, milkshakes and donuts. <laughs> All right. Because uh, if it's on Fremont Street, I know we're going to yeah. have alcohol. Especially, <laughs> I think those are all going together. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and and those will be especially welcome since the sand dollars <laughs> open till three, and people can stagger half a block up Main Street and and get to continue to be uh, uh, lubricated at the the pink box. We should turn that into a race. Oh, God. <laughs> a drunken race. Yeah. Yeah. So Oscar, just put them on the zip line, <laughs> yeah. and zip them over. Oscars is kicking out the big window uh, at the end of the bar where there are two wonderful uh, booths. I'm missing those booths already, but I will love the space that they're going to build out. Uh, the short, it's going un, it's on top of the short-lived, uh, not so lamented uh, beer garden. Oh yeah, that space will now be enclosed, made into a real room, about 2,500 square feet, a separate entrance, and it will be a smoke-free 
mostly slots parlor, photography friendly, music friendly for bloggers. I know, that makes it podcast friendly yeah, too, Yeah, right? podcast friendly. <laughs> so you have no pit boss to worry about taking someone taking a picture of that high roller at the table, snug, snuggling up to a woman to whom he is not related by marriage. Uh-oh. And then you yeah. also have no worries about Facebook tagging you saying you don't have the rights to that you cute do. little clip that you shot. Yes, <laughs> that's the idea. The guiding force behind all that is Brian Christopher. This is a guy who dreamed of being an actor, but he loves to play the slots. So a few years ago, he started recording videos of himself playing slots and being a funny, personable guy. And it all clicked. He gets 5 million YouTube views a month. <clears throat> he employs about a dozen people, goes all over the country, shooting pictures of him playing slots. Uh, a year or so ago, the plaza dedicated a small sliver of casino uh, to slot machines curated by Brian, and he will be doing the curating for this new parlor. And thanks to Brian and his nationwide campaign for smoke-free casinos, this bit of the plaza will be smoke-free. Clearly, I'm doing something wrong. You know how they say hate the game and not the player? Okay, can I officially hate the game right now? But um, but wish the player all the best of luck. Yeah, and good for him, man. I mean, anybody who's like, making money, you figure out a way to make yeah. money, good for you, yeah, man. Yeah, you're, you're, you're taking it. Out of pocket, man. That sounds like the dumbest goddamn way to waste your time is watching some guy play slots on, on your computer. And I, I did it because we, we had him on uh, the, the Plaza podcast. Mm-hmm. And an hour and a half later, I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm it's not going to lie. My wife does that. <laughs> she watches people play that. I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? I have to say, there was a time when I said, what could be more fucking boring than watching <laughs> celebrities sit around their living room and yell at each other? Yeah. And yeah. now I figured it out. Watching people play slots is probably, I don't want to watch my wife play slots. I don't want to watch yeah. my mom play slots. Slot. You want to watch some fucking stranger play But you know what? Yeah. Good for you. Jen, whatever, yeah. Lambda, whatever. <laughs> you were in the Greek right. alphabet for your generation. If that's how you like to be entertained, man, God bless you. I got no problem with that. Yeah. And I, I say mad props to the guy who figured out a way to make money off. I am going to take it to the next level. I vow. It's going to be a picture of me not playing slots in a casino, but me at home playing online play slots for absolutely no money. Yeah. How about this? It's going to be a picture of me watching that person play slots. The madness <laughs> continues. Sort of, like yeah. the, sort of like the exact opposite of Two Girls, One Cup. Yeah. <laughs> the, the reaction videos. Oh, my God. <laughs> the most boring react videos on the planet, man. Um, you know what? I'm going to just start smoking cigarettes because all this talk about smoke free. I'm just going to be like that cigarette smoking baby. We're going to get a million hits of, on YouTube cigarettes. of Al smoking cigarettes. I don't yeah. like cigarettes, so I'll cough a lot. But, um, you know. Oh, man. Hey, I want to mention our friends at Sapphires. The last time we were by a pool, we were at the Sapphires pool. So um, there was a bit more shall we say, nipple action that we're experiencing <laughs> here. But um, we, we do love those guys over at the Sapphires Pool. And I want to mention, they're doing a three... A $29 three-course lunch with multiple choices um, for two of the courses, I believe. Um, poolside at the topless pool. They're waiving the cover charge. And I actually chatted with uh, marketing director George Wilson about that. We created a lunch where if you're a business person looking to come in and have a really easy three-course lunch... Uh, appetizer, entree, and dessert, and we priced it perfectly for people that are used to going to power lunches around town. $29. Uh, it's available Friday through Sunday, noon to 3 p.m. Uh, appetizers, avocado toast, buffalo cauliflower, some falafel and veggies. Uh, second course, we've got a great Angus burger, uh, clubhouse sandwich, 
or uh, Caesar salad, get chicken or salmon, and uh, an awesome Cobb salad. And then for the final course, we have a fabulous sapphire sundae, uh, caramel apple cheesecake, and a, and a perfect berry parfait. Explain the setting. This is all being served poolside at, the, at a topless pool? It is. So uh, Sapphire Topless Pool is located just south of the Sapphire Gentlemen's Club. Um, we've been in business since 2013. Uh, the majority of our server staff bartenders are all topless um, and is 21 and older. Uh, it's, it's a great place. It is one of the best views for lunch you can have in Vegas for obvious reasons. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Everybody's happy. It's hard to have a bad time when that's your that's your view at lunchtime. Absolutely, and um, no cover charge to get in to get this lunch. Uh, no, if you if you do come in for the power lunch, we waive the cover charge. Wow! And then if you decide to stay afterwards, that's completely up to you. Little history here. When um, my wife and I moved back to D.C. in 2005, we spent a month in a corporate apartment right around the corner from a brand new Spanish place called Haleo with a rising up and coming guy named uh, Jose Andres. We like to say I, you know, I knew him when, or or in this case, I I ate him when. Unbelievable. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Uh, so we all know about Jose's empire, the good he does with World Central Kitchen. I'll take you back to D.C. in that magical time that was 2016. Historic building on Pennsylvania Avenue, the old post office, being about to reopen as a luxury hotel. The name: Trump International Hotel. Signature restaurants to be run by Jeffrey Sicarian, and the other by Jose Andres. Then-candidate Donald Trump insults migrants, especially Mexicans. Both Zakarian and Andres pull out of their deals. Trump sued. Everybody settled. The Trump Organization ran that hotel since then and has run it into the ground. Despite being able to get lots of foreign governments to Uh pay for empty rooms, apparently. Foreign (laughs) lobbyists, foreign governments, and U.S. government employees forced to book at the Trump International instead of lower-priced properties nearby. So, flash forward to now... The Trump Organization's bailed on the hotel. The property's now Waldorf Astoria. And coming soon, Bazaar by Andres in the space vacated by BLT Prime. It all comes home again to the right people. Hey, you know, I'm not going to have any additional comments about um, the man who used to have his name on that building, but I will say if I was going to bet on him or Jose, my money would have been on Jose oh. for the long run. Oh, so, gosh, um, yes. I will give you as many points as you want to take Jose. <laughs> oh, man. So, I did want to mention something that just popped onto my phone right before we got here. One last bit of news that we cannot omit. Chef Brian Howard um, posted this about the memorial service, the celebration of life, I should say, for Chef Anthony LaMantia. It's going to be held on Monday, June 20th at 8 p.m. at the Sand Dollar Lounge. Uh, I'm reading this straight from Brian's post, which just went up. His um, th- Speaking about Chef Tony, his love for Chicago will be shown as we are all thankful to have Ralph Perazzo's Snappo Razzo Chicago Dogs and Bruce Kalman's Brown Bagger Sandwich Company providing hot beef sandwiches. Doors open at 8 o'clock, but stay as long as you'd like. All we ask is that you come to raise a glass and share some hugs and stories of the great times we were honored to have with Chef Tony. I've shared a few of my stories on this podcast and elsewhere. Um, he's very much missed. They had a great GoFundMe campaign to raise money for his burial and for his memorials. Um, I'm proud to see the way that the local community came together for him. Chef, did you know Chef Tony? We've, we've crossed paths, you know, doing multiple events. I'm good friends with Brian Howard. I know that, you know, the whole group there. I actually worked with Wendy, his wife, for a very long time. So, but yeah, it's very unfortunate. But it's uh, it's always nice to see the uh, basically all the chefs come together and really support you know each other. And that's what 
so great about Las Vegas, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So again, June 20th, 8 p.m. at the Sand Dollar. Please come out and share some memories of Chef Tony. And that is about it for this episode of Food and Loathing, although we will have a lot more from this visit to the Palms on next week's episode. So thank you to all of our guests. Chef Marcus, man, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having Chef Cisco here, Nicole Brisson, um, our friends over at Sapphires, um, Jonathan Jossel, you spoke with, man. Thanks yep. just to everybody for coming on the show this week. Tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Spread the word on social media. Catch all of Al's handles at theneonmohawk.com. Reach us direct, info at foodandloathing.vegas. Download the Neon Feast app. If you haven't done that yet, use it to find your next dining destination in Vegas. It is what you need when you are here. Neon Feast. And if you can't get enough of my voice, or maybe you just want to see my silly hair, you can tune in to the CW Las Vegas every other Wednesday morning at approximately 8.15. Sometimes we mix it up a bit, but I love going over there. I was just I just came from there today where we talked about ice cream and um, Father's Day steak go. recommendations. And catch all the uh, weekend to-dos in Vegas on the Neon Feast update on the radio. The Vibe, 99.7 here in Las Vegas, 98.1 in the high desert, and 98.9 at the river. With producer Rich Johnson, I am Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.